there's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect in psychology, where basically if you come into a new field, you don't know how much there is to know. So you think there isn't much to learn and you think you've already learned it. And so your confidence is super high, but actually you're really shitty at it. And once you start to realize how much there is to know and how not good you are compared to the people that are actually good at it. So when I did open mics in New York for a week, I had a realization, which I expected, that's kind of why I went there to like calibrate myself, that no, I'm still kind of brand new to this. I was telling you this the whole time. (laughs) Ciao. Welcome to the comedy hall. (laughs) Perfect. Welcome to the comedy hall podcast, everybody. (laughs) Does anybody want to do a less awkward intro than that? No, I'm good. I'm good. You're good? Bea? Farting as intro is perfect. I Farting think. as intro is perfect. We have Bea back. Hello. Yeah, Speaking Ciao. in riddles as usual. <laughs> yeah, Bea's yes. Back. Are you ready for listening to this episode with my English broken? Are you English? ready to listen to the Comedy Hole podcast? I am. Okay. Today we want to talk about why is stand up so hard? Why is this thing that we've chosen to do so difficult? Is it difficult? Maybe there will be some countervailing opinions. But want to get into maybe some of the reasons why people find it so hard, why it is so hard, why it's so rare that there is a comedian that's a master of it. I think there are, there are so few comedians in the world who are extremely good at stand-up. You know, we could probably list 50, less than 20 100. of people who are like, you would consider to be like a master of the art. Because I think there are people like Stavros Halkius, super talented, super good at it. But I think a lot of that is natural talent. Do you know what I mean? I, okay, before we get into the, okay. that's also a good good group. Like I don't know, saying like a specific comedian. That's a great way to point to a specific you know thing about how someone is good at stand up. But when you brought this up, because basically Jordan brought up this podcast idea, he was like, "Why is stand up so hard?" And my first thought was like, "No, it's not." Like I was, then I was thinking I would just be devil's advocate in this mm-hmm. whole podcast because in my mind, when you say stand-up is hard, I'm thinking like, as opposed to what? And also it's not like if they like going to war is hard, you know, or oh. even, or, or another thing like also in the sense that I thought more, more so is like going to a job, which you absolutely hate every day was one of the hardest things for me in terms of like a career. So I had to quit. Like there was no choice. Sure. Let's set the table that yes. the hardest job I've had is waiting tables. Okay. You know, being a right. server in a restaurant. That's sure. an incredible amount of energy. Working at a gas station 60 hours a week, I'm sure is like very hard and taxing psychologically. I think more what I mean is how good can you really get at waiting tables or working at a gas station? I'm sure there's an amazing Olympic-level gas station attendant. But in terms of things where you can only point to a handful of people in the world who are amazing at it, you know, like, I don't know, competitive swimming, basketball, uh, things like that. Uh, Because I've had a lot of jobs. Almost all of those jobs you could find an unlimited number of people that could just replace me, sure. you know, and do, do that fine. Sure. And also for something, because I also waited tables and that was probably also what I pointed to being like, I, I hate this job. I need to leave or specifically, um, sorry, Jordan just had to, uh, turn off his microwave. <laughs> my, his pizza's my, done. No, my, my fridge Beeps. occasionally, <laughs> occasionally just complains. <laughs> just for no reason. <laughs> There's just an alarm. It just says alarm and it just occasionally goes off. I don't know what so about. weird. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, but I also waited tables and I I worked at a place where I quit before I had a new job because I was just like, I hate this. If I have to do this one more day, I'm I can't do it. So I think of course that's going to be harder than something you're passionate about. Like I'm passionate about stand up. I love doing it to the point where yesterday I was like, I don't feel like doing it, I'm in a bad mood. But when I was on stage, it made me feel so much better and I it like invigorated my not only my time at the moment, but also my life in general. Yeah, I, I more just mean why is it so difficult in terms of the mastery of the craft? Yeah, okay. like if I said to you, okay, find somebody 
in Warsaw who is not me or you or Bea uh, that can kill on stage for 10 minutes reliably. You could probably name a couple people, <laughs> you know, a few people. And beyond that, maybe randomly in the population, a few people could get up on stage and kill immediately. But I bet that number is astronomically low. Whereas when I was in marketing, when I was looking to hire somebody, you know, a lot of candidates, I think they'd all do fine. I think it's also a matter of setting the right goals in the sense that if you want to be like Louis C.K. or if you want to be a master, you will probably never get there. It's like if you play football and you are a kid and you play football and your dream is to become like Ronaldo, there are like very... 0.1 0.1 probability you will actually get as good as uh, Ronaldo or Maradona or whoever else. So when stand-up comedy, it gets harder when you are actually struggling into it. So maybe you are or probably in the moment in which you are out of your comfort zone of stand-up comedy. So you have been on stage many times. So maybe, I don't know, being on stage is not hard for you anymore, but maybe it's hard for you uh, writing, writing new material or try, trying something different. Or it's, I think it's about what is hard. Like, what's hard in general? Okay. Uh, so the way I wanted to kind of structure this is talk about why I think it's such a notoriously difficult thing to do. And then I've identified some ways, some skills you have to like learn yeah, to do stand-up at a competent level. And that includes writing, storytelling, stage presence, crowd work, adaptability, mic technique, face manipulation, intonation, timing, reading a room, act outs, memorization, improvisation, and confidence. And I'm sure there are 20 more. Uh, probably if you broke down football, soccer, there'd be just as many things. But I think in any European city, you have a lot more people that are great at soccer <laughs> than great at stand-up. Yeah, but however, here's what I'm going to say. I think soccer, in general, there's just, if you're going to go on the field and play soccer at the max level, there's less people who can actually do that than stand-up comedians. Really? Because I think, I mean, if you're actually going to break this down, if you had the ability to mold somebody into a stand-up comedian and they were they were going to go on stage and you gave them a year, you could have top comedians write them jokes. They could practice by being well, yeah, on stage. Well, yeah, if someone else was writing their jokes. That's a then. huge thing, though. You can't have someone else, a soccer player, you can't have someone else playing soccer for them. Yeah. So, so what, what is your point? So my point <laughs> is soccer is much harder than... Because, yeah, what? you can have... No, I'm, <laughs> no I, think you, I think you've made an... A, because you in, incomprehensible point. No, this is what I'm saying that like we there are people who can go up on stage with other people's jokes. But that's not a thing though. So that's not we what have to take about. that out. Yeah. Because some people who are listening might think, "Hey, that's perfectly fine." You know? So like we have to take out certain argument points to say like why what we're talking about when we're saying hard because if you're writing your own jokes and you're doing everything by yourself yes absolutely but even after, sometimes I'll talk to you and be like hey how's this joke what do you think of this if you give me a tag or something well you're getting some help there but no one can some people are physically born like just huge people. Like, I mean, I'm super tall, but my athleticism isn't amazing for basketball. And yet I'm taller than Michael Jordan. You know, it's not the tallness. It's the, he's just a like physical freak. Plus he has this mentality that made him incredible at basketball. But no matter what you do, even with the same mentality, if you were that type of person, you wouldn't beat Michael Jordan. As for stand-up, I mean, the mentality for both you, I don't know, it depends. Okay. Uh, for our listeners, Ariel is a physical freak. Anomaly. A physical <laughs> anomaly and is extremely good at basketball. Uh, no, I was saying here's, terrible. So, sure, uh, under conditions of like, you give somebody all the tools they could possibly ever need to be good at stand-up versus all the, all tools, the tools they could ever possibly need to get, be good at a given sport, be easier to be good at stand-up. This yes. brings us perfectly into why I think it is so hard to get good at stand-up. Okay. And the main reason, I think, is that it takes 
10,000 hours to like become a master of any activity. I think Malcolm Gladwell was the first one to raise that as a point. Um, but stand-up, you can only really practice it on stage. And most stand-up comedians starting out only get five minutes of stage time at a time. That's like learning the violin five minutes at a time. Right. It's going to take for fucking ever. So I did some calculations. Okay. How to get to 10,000 hours of practice five, five minutes, minutes at a time. Five minutes a day. I know if you're in New York, you probably get to go to multiple open mics a day, but most cities, it's probably like one, maybe maximum three open mics a day. And okay. most people are not doing every single one. Uh, so five minutes a day to get to 10,000 hours, 120,000 days or 328.43 years. Right. And even if and you, you div- yeah. even if you could do four a day, you divide that number by four. And it's also still you don't know if you 80, will 90. get actually better, even if you do all the five minutes. Yeah, some people don't get better. And that, that's, we have a, an episode on getting better that we talk about. The people that don't get better aren't responding to the right stimuli and aren't adapting in the right way. Yeah, but we're saying like top possibility yeah. of like someone getting better, right? So I also, yeah, so... Okay. And I think why you meet a lot of people who have been doing it for five to ten years and they don't seem to have, they don't seem to be mastering it, I think it's partly because they have to do it in five-minute increments. And that's part of why I started to host my own show and then started touring is to just get more stage time. So I calculated this out. If you do four 70-minute solo shows per week, then within ten years, you're at close to 2,500 hours. And within 40 years, you're at uh, 10,000 hours. And Louis C.K. has been doing it 39 years. I think probably it's less than 10,000 hours to become top of the top. But yeah, 10,000 hours is like, it's, it's that's, that's not... That's to become like the, the best. But that's not uh, scientific. It's that's not, just like also, someone... Science, and but I have a question. What does it mean for you mastering stand-up Becoming comedy? one of Good the question. best in the world, I would say. Like if... 10,000 hours to become one of the best in the world at but chess, what, at violin. At, but at best whatever. in the world, especially for a stand-up, compared to, let's say, a sport, it's subjective, right? Yeah. You could probably do some measuring. It's also it's audience-dependent, I think, is the main thing. So if you put Chris Rock on a stage and then the exact same stage, you put Louis C.K., they're going to get different kinds of laughs, different levels of laughter, and you also can't measure that at the same time. Someone's yeah, going to go tough, first. It's, that's a tough thing. It's in... But because even on this show, let's say like let's say you did that, there was like a Chris Rock versus Louis C.K. tour. I want to see that fight. <laughs> that would be a sweet because <laughs> Chris Rock, you know, he's, he's he's short, but he's scrappy. <laughs> no, Louis C.K. is not in shape. I mean, they're still stand-up comedians. So like, just stand-up <laughs> comedian. It's like a Louis C.K. versus Chris Rock stand-up comedian tour battle. Um, some nights, one will be like obviously more jo- like more laughter from them. Some nights, the other one, it'll still be mm-hmm. on and off. And even on the shows where, let's say, Louis C.K. does worse than Chris Rock and majority of people agree, there still are people who are like, no, I loved Chris Rock that but, yeah. but besides, you know, still like, for example, one, like, how the shows go, I think uh, mastering, it can be, uh, it can be mean that, for example, you are a game changer. Like, you do something which people then they look at, like, oh, this guy, he did something that he, they changed stand-up comedy right, or right. That he said something or the way he said it or a joke he wrote that changed completely or the society even yeah, or yeah. stand-up comedy or the longevity of of his uh, uh, success. If it's just like two years famous, then it means it was just like a flash. flash. But then these guys that you are mentioning are people that have been famous for 20 years or more, more I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, and I, I think the people that have been famous for 20 years just have a deeper understanding of joke writing and what is the art form and like the nuances of the craft than people like we mentioned Stavros, who I was going to see in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. booked flights and he canceled his show. Aww. Stavros, if you're listening, I still love you. <laughs> Let's bring it around to... Why we've all met people who are starting in stand up and like think it's easy. Do you know anyone like that? I don't uh, think we, no one in the scene is like that currently in Warsaw. But. Yeah. And also, yeah, I don't think I've, I don't think anyone has admitted that to me, even if they were, yeah. when they were. I will say my first open mic went so well that I thought it was easy. 
and then my second show I bombed. Mm -hmm. There's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect in psychology, where basically if you come into a new field, you don't know how much there is to know. So you think there isn't much to learn and you think you've already learned it. And so your confidence is super high, but actually you're really shitty at it. It, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think you mentioned this before to me, but I think uh, that comes more often once you kill for the first time. Yeah. Where you're like, oh shit, I can totally do this. And then... And then keep going with the Dunning Kruger. Well, yeah, but on, to your point, James Jeffries. I heard him say in an interview, Jim that Jim Jeffries. Yeah, I know, I know. I know a guy named James Jeffries <laughs> <laughs> personally. Uh, Jim Jeffries, Australian comedian. He said that it is very easy to be great occasionally. It is very, very hard to be good consistent every single time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you had a point. And I forgot. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Thank you for contributing. Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. So. Because you, the the slope, you told me about this um, before. And once you start to realize how much there is to know and how not good you are compared to the people that are actually good at it. So when I did open mics in New York for a week, I had a realization, which I expected. That's kind of why I went there Mm -hmm. to like calibrate myself that no, I'm still kind of brand new to this. I was telling not, you this the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really that fun. Like I can do great on stage, but like as in terms of the craft, I still have so much shit to, to do better. And I entered something in the Dunning-Kruger graph. It's called the Valley of Despair, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you confront how much you still have to learn and your confidence goes way, 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 way down mm-hmm. uh, to, yep. to almost nothing. And then only recently I've been starting to crawl up what's called the slope of enlightenment, which is a very long slope where you gain confidence as you gain competence. So you get better and you get more confident as you get better. And you know what skills you need to learn and you start learning them. So I've, in the past couple months, I've just seen myself start to get better at joke writing mainly and like seeing the matrix a little bit more with not just what I think is kind of amusing, but also what makes like a good joke and a good story and how to structure things. Uh, so that's been my experience, but I still have a very, very long way to go. Sure. Yeah, and the, uh, about the point about the confidence that people have on stage, I think there is something specific of stand-up comedy that other arts they don't have, which is the ego of the person who decides to go on stage. Because I think people that decide to go on stage and do stand-up comedy have naturally like a big ego uh, because they think they are funny. So just to go on stage... they don't have a big ego? No, they have. They do have a big ego because just to go on stage... Even for the first time, even for five minutes and thinking you are going to be funny, it's probably because you have a big ego. And then there is another thing, which is people, sometimes they don't have any, they don't do any reality check. Like, am I really funny or they just enjoy their time on the stage without checking if they have a good um, uh, answer from what's going on around them? Yeah, yeah. And it's also like the Dunning-Kruger and exactly what you're saying is all just like basically delusion from your ego and then having that shattered. And that's just a constant battle up and down, up and down for the rest of your career. I think the ego shattering, we've talked before in this podcast about people basically being driven crazy by stand-up. Mm-hmm. And I think when that happens is when when you have super high confidence and very low competence and Dunning-Kruger, that's called the peak of Mount Stupid. <laughs> Which okay. I think is nice. This Dunning Kruger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's very to every field. It, it makes sense. Um, we've seen people do really well at open mics and then they'll host a show and then the show won't go well. Longer sets, people lose interest, they start bombing. And then as they start to go down into the valley of despair, their confidence crashes, then they just kind of lose it and they quit stand up. Mm, yeah. yeah. And also, yeah, there's a, that's the thing I, I've been saying many times where it's like you, uh, especially for corporate gigs where it's like, don't think that they're going to uh, laugh so much and don't think that they're going to not laugh. Just think that they're not going to pay attention. And that's basically because to like 
I mean, curb your enthusiasm, basically, like where you anticipate something and you think it's going to be something and then it's not, you're going to get shattered way more than if you're like, who knows how it's going to be. And you have to kind of, when you go up on stand-up, I don't know if they're going to laugh. I want to make them laugh. I'm going to try my hardest, but I have no idea. And I think a lot of the time for beginners, it's like, okay, I'm going to go up. I'm going to do my jokes. It'll go great. Or I don't know. And then you go up and it just, you bomb and you feel horrible. But if you know that that's going to happen, that you will bomb at some point, then you're just prepared for it. You know it's going to happen. Yeah, the worst bombs come from overconfidence for sure. And we've talked about this before as well, but telltale sign of a new comedian is when something bombs and it's like they've been punched in the face and they don't know what to do. They don't just move on. They like are stunned by it and they don't have anything in their back pocket to pull out. They don't slide past it. They just sort of go into the next joke with no confidence and that also fails because they're not selling it. Yeah. Yeah, but I also think you just said for a new comedian. I think that still can happen. Still though. happens. Even with, like, although we are still I basically new comedians. When a, for me, when a joke bombs at this point, I'm like, well. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, like, yeah. And of course, depends on the show. Yeah. But like, you know, in the future, let's say 10 years from now, you can have that confidence of like, yeah, I can do this. I can totally do this. But if that would happen, you're just still in the same ego crashing that you would be if you were a beginner. In the sense that you anticipated, you were like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm good at this already. Mm. I know every show will go great. I'm, uh, I'm great at this. And then one show doesn't go well, you're like, what the fuck? Can I actually fucking do this? Yeah, it's like you bomb more often when you're starting, but the more you more experienced you are, the worse the bombs hurt. Yeah, I think because yeah. you're like, I'm supposed to Definitely. be good at this. Yeah. Why, why is this not working? And that's because of that, like building yourself up, saying you can do something very well. Yeah, but it'll it'll crash again. So I, just to be prepared that it crashes again. I think to an extent, though, you have to hack your own psychology because not everyone responds to things the same way. Uh, I see. I, think, I remember hearing Pete Holmes talk about how at shows he would look in the mirror and be like, you are the greatest comedian that ever lived. <laughs> everyone loves you. You are fantastic at this. If I did that, that wouldn't <laughs> I, would, work. I would do horribly. Yeah, yeah. I do before a show uh, that where I want to do well. It's like, you're just here to make people laugh. All that oh, That's all you're doing. You're just making people laugh. And so I, I picture just everyone being excited to laugh. So, yeah, and, and that works for me because then I'm not thinking about myself and I'm thinking about what am I, what's my purpose here. I'm just trying to make people laugh, that's all. But that's very it, healthy. And if I can say something about it, I think there is, um, you need to believe in you. Like before going on stage, you need to believe in the, that what you're going to say is going to be funny because maybe it's not funny, but maybe the way you say it will will be good. I don't know, will be funny. Uh, you remember we were at the Fringe at Brighton mm -hmm. and the first show I, I was a bit off and I wasn't believing and you were like, no, Bea, you need to believe. Mm -hmm. And the day after we all changed a bit our uh, uh, perception stage. So I was like, okay, doesn't matter if they would don't listen because there are like five people in the audience. I will just go straight and believe and see and arrive at the end. And it went way better than the day before. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that you should not think about yourself, I don't fully agree. Like, I mean, you, sh you need to believe in what you say. There are a lot of comedians that for me are not funny, but they have a great stage presence because they believe in themselves and people find them funny. Yeah, and actually when you're saying that, I mean, it's true. It, it, like, not for every show, every uh, way of thinking will work, but also not for every comedian, every way of thinking will work, like you said, Jordan. But Because even I've seen huge confidence from people who are starting out. And it's we talked about this on the podcast before, where it's like they have huge confidence, they believe in themselves, but their jokes are shit. And then they're annoyed <laughs> at the audience that they're not laughing. Oh, yeah. And then they're like, fuck this audience and they keep going with their shit jokes. And, it's the worst. And then it's like... They don't get better. It's worse than watching someone who's really nervous and like, uh, I don't know, and is doing their jokes and one out of five are good. You kind of root for them a little bit more. So it really depends on the person, I guess, too. Yeah. But anyway, so... so and the, okay, I have okay, a yeah. question. What is hard for you in stand-up comedy? Writing is probably the hardest thing. We'll like, get you writers, buddy. We'll get you. <laughs> yeah, I just need to get people to write for me. Yeah, man. Uh, no, write, yeah, getting myself to write. Sometimes uh, I've had periods where I just don't feel funny. 
over like weeks. And so much of touring, since I do it mostly myself, uh, with some help from uh, another comedian named Anna, who's producing some shows, so much of it is left-brained organizational spreadsheets promo shit that if I spend all my time doing that, I cannot get my brain to go into creative joke writing mode. I just yeah. can't can't do it. It's such a different way of thinking right. that what I write is just fucking garbage. So I have to take a break from the organizational stuff to get into writing mode. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because I even even I've had that before where I DJ and do comedy at the same time, and if I'm not really into the DJing part, and I guess you actually. I was going to say that, but usually I DJ after I would do comedy. I don't usually do comedy at five in the morning. But like most of the time, the uh, if I'm thinking about the DJ stuff, if I'm like, oh, I have to do this and this and all the organizational shit, how do I get there by taxi and all that stuff? Then I'm out of my kind of like creative side of the comedy. Yeah. And it kind of fucks up the comedy. Yeah. And I regularly have to fill like 70, 80 minutes if I'm doing a solo show alone. So that that's a ton of material. Often I can fill a lot with crowd work. But but you know, I try to mm. <laughs> I try not to do it. I think there are shows I've done where I've done too much crowd four, work? 40 minutes. Jesus. <laughs> crowd, hey, they they still like <laughs> like those were great shows. I'm I'm thinking of a couple, but like it's almost like in my in my head, I'm like they don't know that basically I just didn't do stand up. <laughs> that my show was 40 minutes and they, and they, they paid for it. Also, you said, you said, I can think of a couple. How many solo shows did you do? I've done 60. <laughs> so that's, two, that's probably 40. Two out of 60. Yeah. No, no that's especially when, if I don't have a host or an opener. So I basically open for myself. I do yeah, like yeah. 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and then I do like 50 minutes. Right. Then it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of. A lot of crowd work. Yeah, and the reason I would think stand-up isn't difficult, I think, is mainly because I love doing it. Oh, yeah, I love being on stage. It's yeah, and For I'm me, sure it's the other stuff. I'm sure you do. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying you don't. I'm more saying that, like, that's when you when you said, hey, what about this topic? You know, mm-hmm. stand-up is difficult to do. I think for me, uh, the most difficult stuff for me to do is the shit I hate doing. So when I'm when I'm forced to do something, even like, I don't know, when I was in a relationship I didn't like to, to be in and then I had to go to their parents' house for dinner, I'd be like, fuck. Yeah, it's not technically hard to go and eat dinner with people, but I hated it the most and I didn't look forward to it. I was in a bad mood, that kind of shit. But if you look at it purely as a job, like if I told you you can only make income from stand-up over the next year, that's going to be yeah, fucking hard. Yes, yeah. That's, I know firsthand that point. is incredibly difficult. Right. Way harder to make money on this than any job I've had previously. Yeah, and also, but like then selling something people don't need on the street corner, like you're say, selling horseshoes or something, mm. that's... Super difficult. Have you ever seen anyone sell horseshoes exactly. on the street corner? It's like someone selling yeah. horseshoes on the street corner. Like you'll only get people who either have horses or are like, "Hey, this is a cute thing I can buy." You know, I don't know, but like you won't be able to sell. So yes, in to get known in stand up and to be able to sell tickets is a very very yeah. Difficult that's thing. a whole different side of the difficulty. Not yeah. just getting good at it, but like surviving off of it. So yeah, in that sense, absolutely. I'm more thinking about, uh, yeah. And I think what we're talking about is also just being up on stage. Yeah, for sure. When I'm, when I'm on stage, when I'm doing like a lot of time, I don't feel like it's hard in the moment at all. I guess it's the only place I want to be. It's more about, I put a lot of effort into being able to do that, writing all the material, testing it and feeling like I have enough Mm-hmm. That I can go up there. I, I think it's almost harder to do the open mics than the solo shows because uh, I want to try new material and the writing of the new material and the testing of it like, is harder for me than just reciting things that I already know works mm-hmm. and I've worked a hundred times. Right, right, right. Yeah, or exactly. 60 times. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> okay, so let's take away selling tickets. Obviously, that's very difficult. And to be known from stand up, that's a difficult thing. And take away other people's vocations, other people's like jobs to not compare to that. What's hard with stand-up? I think if you're not in New York or LA, lack of competition, lack of uh, being around a bunch of people who are good at it. There aren't really, if you're in a scene like ours, you know, we're all dedicated to it, but none of us have been doing it 
for that long. Yeah. So there's really no one. I think I've referred to this before as rare Pokemon. <laughs> you know, like comedians who are in a scene, who are like fostering the scene, who have been doing it for ten plus years, who are really good at it, like teaching. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, we don't have that. I think a lot of European scenes kind of don't have that. Like Barcelona has Michelle Wolf. She's not really that involved, but. Personally, yeah. also has a couple other comedians who have been doing it for a very long time and have like things to teach. I think we can all sort of learn as we go along and help each other. But I think lack of Masters. maybe it's lack of yeah, lack of masters to learn from, lack of role models. Also, something that's a little bit unique about stand-up is it seems to me like everyone who's great at stand-up has no interest in teaching about stand-up. Like uh I've started doing YouTube videos on like stand up and just like things not to do to open mics and stuff like that because I think there's a real gap in the market because I haven't really seen any other like professional stand up comedians teaching anything about it. it yep. <laughs> they yeah, just don't the, want to. They don't want it, they don't bother. I will say though, uh, I think there's a difference between putting out videos to teach and actually being face to face with someone oh, sure. and them teaching because Big difference. I, because but there's I not there's not even the videos is what i'm saying that, like that, if you google that's what I'm saying. Yeah. the videos themselves won't be there because they're not interested in teaching on a, a video perhaps but when you talk to someone face to face like i've experienced stand up comedians who are masters who when you ask them a question they're bright eyed wanting to tell you what's what's on their mind cuz you're picking their brain on something they're passionate about so but will they? If you're like, hey, could you we record about Todd, a video about it? Talking about Todd Berry. Todd Berry. There's one, but there's like, yeah, others that when I was in uh, in Toronto, there were there were other ones like Arj Barker or something that who was like, uh, he was there on my first open mic when I was really young, and I talked to him for a little bit, and he he was super up for talking to a brand new open micer. Hey, what do you what do you want to do with this or that? Like, yeah, there's I mean, there's the openness to it in face to face conversation. Uh, but then no one is systematizing it yeah, that's at the true. top level. Yeah. Nobody. There's no... Nobody. I think yeah. the main issue here is that most there are so many comedians, a lot, like a lot of very good comedians, but there is a lack of uh, organizational skills, skills. And for example, in Italy, we have a main agency and they organize workshops with the main comedians. So there is someone that organizes workshops for them. But can you imagine a comedian that has to do open mics, has to organize his solo show, and even he has to organize workshops, which means a lot, yeah. a lot of like um, finding a place which is not a venue, but uh, like a room, uh, trying to sell it to people, and people don't know really how to sell. So for me, the lack of teaching stuff, it's also related to there is no one that is organizing for them. Because if I organize a workshop and I call you Jordan, for example, you will be happy of doing it because you have no time to organize your own workshop, maybe. And this is applying for a lot of people that are touring, that are doing this and that. And then there is also the factor that I don't think no one really in Europe, at least, really feels pretentious enough to say, mm. oh, I can organize. I saw we received Simon May, except <laughs> Jordan, of course. Uh, but I think there is a kind of uh, room of, oh, I don't know if I can teach because I don't know if I can really transmit something, which is not a sexual disease. But I, <laughs> but I think also uh, stand-up comedians won't want to teach because first of all, stand-up comedy is like a singular, you're just by yourself on stage. And of course you could talk to other comedians to work on your craft, but it's basically by yourself. It's not improv where you're with a bunch of people. So like you're, the way you are as a character is a kind of loner. You are a loner. So why would like most stand-up comedians probably wouldn't want to be around a bunch of people to help them out not because they aren't helpful people, but because they're just loners and they want to be by themselves. I'm probably missing some comedian who is doing this. And I think there is a book on joke writing by somebody who is oh, yeah, I'm sure somewhat is, famous yeah. or, or something. But, you know, in the top 20 or 50, no. I think a lot of comedians, two other comedians, won't be like, oh, yeah, let me help you out. They're like, fuck you, comedian. Yeah, yeah. Like, they don't. To me, it's 
like beginning guitarists who don't want to learn music theory because they don't want to ruin their creativity or something. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, (laughs) you're just learning structures that exist and then you're drawing on those structures to enhance your creativity. Like there are a lot of very basic things of performance. I talk about some of them in my YouTube video, top five most embarrassing uh, open mic mistakes. Uh-huh. Anyway, just stuff like don't tell a long story without putting any jokes in it. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. That yeah. That may go ahead. I've yeah. been to a workshop, a comedy workshop at the beginning. At the very beginning, it was in Italy, and it was held by uh, Filippo Giardina, which is like a big comedian in Italy. And uh, it was nice because you were like in a room. You the, we we had to write our five minutes, and then we had to sit with uh, like another person and share each other uh, sets, uh, correcting each other, and then we sh- we would. Uh, do our five minutes in front of the class and he would like recommend us also be on stage like you need to remove the mic and this is something I learned there because I didn't know that having the mic stick in front of you when you are talking is one of the most annoying thing ever for the audience Uh, even if the microphone is in the mic stand uh, some t- no, because people they remove the mic. Oh yeah, yeah they yeah. move yeah, that, and they don't move the mic. The mic stand. Stand. That's a big thing. Yeah, they yeah, don't. Sure. They don't. And this I learned it uh, at the workshop. That's so my I YouTube think, video. Uh, good. Which you, you, that's <laughs> why Jordan picked this topic so he could. Uh, Just you should have put my YouTube and my Patreon. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but it was very interesting. But also, um, I see that people don't. Uh, want to participate sometimes to workshops because they are like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't, like, for example, Filippo Giardina, he's not funny for everybody. Uh, uh, it, uh, so people are like, no, maybe I don't want to go to his workshop. Um, so there is a weird, like, kind of demand discontinuous. Um, and I think also a lot of extremely good stand up comedians don't aren't either not good at explaining comedy or don't want to or don't even really have an insight into how they do it. You know, like would Kobe Bryant... Is he the dead one? Who's the alive one? Kobe Bryant's dead, yes. Who's the one that's alive? There's many that are alive. Name one. I cannot. Uh, Ricky Martin. Are you talking about basketball players? <laughs> basketball. Okay. Who's, I hope Ricky Martin's still alive by the time this who, Who's the guy... Do I, you mean you're talking about LeBron Maybe, James? LeBron James, yeah. Okay. LeBron James, like, would he be great at teaching a course on basketball? Honestly, right. maybe. Right, right. <laughs> Probably. No, 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 but, but I understand. Uh, but, uh, yeah. yeah, that, like... Most likely he would repeat what his coach would... Yeah, the but, best but in stand-up, you don't have coaches. So, exactly, yeah. So people have to arrive at it themselves, and they might not be good at explaining why it is that yeah, they're Le- Yeah, you're right. LeBron James might not be the best coach, but the best coach... Is the best coach. Like, I mean, yeah. like, but the, it, yeah. sometimes it happens where the best or where a very good basketball player becomes a very good coach, but not every great basketball player could be a good coach. Yeah. And it maybe comes down to this saying, like, if you can't do teach, that if someone is teaching a course on stand up, people are like, well, like, who, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Yeah. And also, usually it can mean that you are teaching because you are not very good at doing it. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and that does happen. There are. <laughs> that is exactly what I I've, said. <laughs> but I've heard. Yeah, I've, heard that, I've heard that there are schools where it's like there are stand-up schools, and basically it just allows you to be on stage. But the person teaching it was never a successful stand-up comedian. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what those are. I just heard that that exists. Yeah, and when I when I look at YouTube, I tried to find like any kind of tutorial, and there are some, but they're taught by people that. One, I'm like, who are you? Mm-hmm. And they just also don't seem funny to me. Like they put bad jokes in the video. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and it's Terrible. just, yeah. And clearly you're not successful at this. So I think I should learn from you. But the people that are successful are not teaching it. Right. Which And why would they? Yeah, but, and I've had that with this this specific podcast where I was like, well, I mean, we could talk about the scene, but why are we teaching? Who the fuck are we? Mm. With that said, we are kind of doing it as like, this is what we are doing as we go along yeah. on this path yeah. of stand-up comedy. 
starting yeah, I don't, from the I don't beginning. think we are teaching. I think we are sharing our experiences as yeah. beginner, as intermediate, or whatever. Yeah. And there's some basic stuff. If you take 10 piano lessons, like you can teach somebody who hasn't played piano. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you can stay, I think we're a bit ahead of absolute beginners to the extent that there are things that we can convey. But yeah, we don't, we're not yet as good as the people at the top for fucking sure. But I don't think you need all of that to relay some basics to people. And I think a lot of the time, like I remember doing this for music, there would be somebody who was just asking me questions about music and then it would spark something in my head and I would relate what I was thinking about, about that music. And it was kind of like me teaching myself about it because I, before then I wasn't thinking about that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was like constantly like, oh shit, oh yeah, that, well, this is, that happens because of this. Mm -hmm. And I would, it would make me, realize something more about myself the way I'm kind of teaching about the music. When I made this YouTube video about like mistakes, one of the things is basically don't tell stories without jokes in it. And then I started looking at my own material and being like, there's just clearly not enough jokes did you put, in this segment. Did you put an example of yourself in the video? Uh, no, I used... Uh, I thought people? about <laughs> I did. I thought about, I uh, thought about using myself, but honestly, it was yeah. too much work. No, <laughs> to but also, I, I, I think it's better. No, I'm fine with putting up me bombing. It's just, it would have involved a lot more digging through footage than just looking at YouTube and finding uh -huh. like uh, examples there. Okay, okay. I think it's better if like you use other people's videos as well. So it's not too much how to reference. I'm going to do a heckler video about like how to deal with a heckler and point out in the video what I'm doing wrong. Because I had probably the worst heckler I've ever had. I think that's a cool video yeah. to watch. Yeah. The worst heckler I've ever had. The only one that's like gotten up and left in the middle of the show. Yeah. I made a whole speech. This yeah. is in Poznan, like in March. And what you and did wrong and then show one you did I right kept, kind of I thing. I kept drawing him into the show again. And uh -huh. watching back, I see that so clearly. And so I right. basically point out in text in the video like... Wrong, wrong, right, wrong, right. I do shut him down. I think in some effective ways, but he comes back, and then I indulge it, and it, yeah. So I, yeah, I think actually that's a huge thing for uh, why people might think stand-up comedy is easy versus actually being on stage, is that when you are in the audience, you have like a bird's eye view of the whole situation, and you're like, ah, oh, if I would have been up there, I would have done that. And then when yeah. you are up on stage, you don't have that bird's eye view as much, even yep. though you you should, but. Uh, especially tunnel, for first timers, to an extent. Yeah, you're just thinking about, oh, what am I doing on stage? And so you don't see as much uh, in the beginning. You don't see as much what you should be doing. And I think that is what stand-up comedy, one part of what stand-up comedy is, where you slowly but surely are either more comfortable on stage and understand that, or something happens to you where you just are able to to know what to do on stage. There was an amazing moment at our last Wednesday show when there was somebody who was kind of heckling occasionally, not too bad. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh -huh. And then he went up to you and was like, hey, can I, can I get on stage? I have some funny jokes. And you were like, fine, all right, was it, go for it. Oh, 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 oh. this was like <laughs> two weeks ago, right? I think it was last week. Last then, week you guys were hosting. Yeah. Okay, then it was Bea that let him go on stage. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and he went up there and just bombed completely. His joke didn't even make any sense. Right, right. And then I think it was just such a great example of, because people were not doing well, like most people at that show were bombing, the comedians, because mm -hmm. the audience just was not responding to jokes. Mm -hmm. Like even ones that would work in 90% of other situations, the audience just wasn't responding. And so this guy was like, Yeah, it was well, outside small I audience. Do, I could do better than these idiots. Yeah. And so he goes up yeah. and just gets... Even less of a response. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it went horribly, and I, I think that was great. Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, like this is why I call him on stage. Not realizing that like some of us were throwing our best stuff out there, and then for this drunk outdoor half paying attention audience, just it wasn't. There yeah, are plenty yeah. of top level comedians, I think, in that situation who they would adapt eventually. But given five minutes, like the, the first little bit, I think wouldn't go, you know, that great. Right, right. Um, yeah. So Dunning Kruger, in a nutshell, so, but, he he didn't realize how hard it was, and he thought he could do better. 
And then he, his joke, he afterwards he approached me and was like, "What did you think of my joke? Like, why do you think it didn't work?" And he repeated it to me, and it just it just didn't make I, any didn't sense. I, it just didn't I make sense like, at all. Really, I, there was no initial and end of the sentence he was saying. The joke like, was basically that some word sounded like maybe it could be the name of a company that makes paint, but I didn't see even why. It, right, right, could have. <laughs> you know, so so far away from being an effective. No, about. On a slightly different subject, but about what we're talking about, the Dunning-Kruger uh, effect, that is something that is absolutely, like I feel that very much, or I felt the smaller stages of it from before of like, oh, hey, I'm doing great, I could do great, and then yeah. just shit myself, and then like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck. And then now slowly but surely being like, okay, I'm going there, but I think it's less of a like plateau going up and more of a wave that will continue to constantly happen where it's like where it goes up and down and up and down slowly the ups and downs are higher and higher yeah and you go through stages of learning and stages of confidence and stages of losing confidence but i think you have to hold on to the fact that yeah it will go down again and don't worry about it and i think you understand it after uh, two years that's there will be moment in which you will be down but then you don't know after two weeks you will be up again And I think you don't realize it at the beginning. So at the beginning, if you do like the first show goes well and then you have very bad moments in the next two, three months, it doesn't mean that you will be bad afterwards. And then even when Mm -hmm. you are more pro, I think, for example, you have your solo shows, you know maybe one show will not go well compared to to another one. So I think it's important to just be also realistic, like cannot be everything, cannot go well. Like yeah. it's impo- it's mathematically impossible that everything in your life goes exactly as you want. Yeah, you, you can't and, win them all. Yeah. And uh, also, actually, preparing. Sorry to interrupt, but preparing for a show that it this probably won't go well. Like I did a corporate show on Saturday where I did like a half hour, forty minutes, something like that, and I was like, "It's a corporate gig. No one's going to pay attention. Don't give a shit about this." Uh, I was prepared for it to not go well. It ended up everyone was paying attention and it was great. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of better to prepare for the worst and kind of aim for the best. Yeah. Rather than like, I'm going to be super confident. I'm great at this. And yeah, that'll be harder as time goes on because we will be better at it. We've got to wrap up soon. But one last thought from me, something interesting about stand-up is this catch-22 of to do this at all, you have to be kind of delusional. To think that, like, yeah, people should be in a room listening to me talk, and then at a higher level, people should be paying money, <laughs> and I should be making a living just to for people to hear me talk. Balancing that, and even after you bomb, be like, well, I bombed, but like, I know I'm good, so I'm yeah. going to keep going. You have to have, to an extent, that almost delusional attitude, but almost you, delusional. I would almost say almost delusional because in a way, there, it's like I feel. Like, it's not delusional to believe that. <laughs> so maybe I I'm so delusional that. For me, <laughs> I want to make enough money on this that I can live comfortably. And to mm-hmm. do that, I just have to be in like the top 1% of comedians globally. Right. And that's, if you just say that to a random person, they'd be like, all right, dude, whatever. <laughs> you know, like I yeah, have sure. to believe that I can get there. Yeah. Um, while balancing that you have a ton to learn and learning from your mistakes and knowing that you're not, you know, the shit and that you have so much to work on. So not getting defeated by the failures and all the things that you still have to learn and how not good you are, balancing that with, no, I am, I do have the potential to be great at this yeah. and I'm going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I, I have that in the sense of... uh like I want to do that, but it's almost it's almost like faith in a religion. Yeah. It's like I just believe this will be like that. But also it's as if you have faith in a religion and then God kicks you in the face once a week. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> Maybe not yeah, once yeah. a week, but like <laughs> Oh you oh you thought your dog adoption joke was gonna go well? Yeah, like, mm, fuck you. <laughs> so it is a little crazy in that sense, but but there's a realistic side to it where it's like well, I know that that didn't go well because of this. It's still not like yeah. shit doesn't go yeah. well for absolutely it's no reason. Learning. Why did a meteor hit my house? It's like, oh, I fucked up that word, you know? In a very, very, very small percentage of situations, 
it's the audience. Usually not the audience. Usually Almost not the audience. always not the audience. But there are sometimes when it is the audience. Or the host. Or the, I don't know. I think if the host of the show isn't doing their job, you just do some hosting up top and pull it out. But Yeah, that's true. The host can fuck up the flow of the night for sure. But then... Yeah, you. It's still on you uh, to. You can still pull that. I think it. even if the host has almost ruined the show, because yeah. you can also ride on the fact that they don't like the host also, and you're not the host. Yes. And also, I've had it many times where they're riding on the fact that I was doing good hosting, like a brand new person. Mm-hmm. I'm setting up for success, and they have just five minutes. And by four minutes, the audience doesn't give a shit. But they had a good four minutes. Yeah. So luckily, they only have five, so they would get off on stage for the one, and people are like, "Actually, that was." That was okay, but because the night was going great. So you can't also ride a good wave. I think there are a lot of shows where the audience has like a bank of goodwill. Like they want the show to be good. They're there to laugh. They're a great audience. And then as people exploit that, sometimes the host, by just going too long, you know, people laugh politely over and over and over and comedians aren't doing well. And then if you're sixth, seventh in the lineup, then all that goodwill's gone. Yeah. <laughs> there are some shows like, and it has to be purely the on the merits of your performance. And yeah. I think it's also a matter of culture. Probably you traveling around, you're seeing like different cultures have different way of uh, responding to the responding to the to the jokes. Uh, in Italy, for example, if there is a room of Italians and there is a funny jokes, people not only laugh but they even clap. For sure. every joke. And I think this is like, for example, coming from the cabaret style where you were seeing something funny and you would clap. So it's more like, and it's it's funny, but it takes a lot but of time. But it takes time. a lot of time. So <laughs> yeah. they actually clap yeah. for every single yeah. joke. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's good for videos because you have every, I don't know, you have 10 seconds, 20 seconds clip and you have a clap at the end. But yeah. sometimes it's like, okay, guys, yeah. Yeah. let's... Yeah. I think most US comedians, tough level ones would be like, just stop it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stop yeah. that. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough of the clapping. I know I know yesterday, I know we'll end, but like yesterday at the open mic, the audience was just awesome. They were just yeah. off the bat awesome. Uh, Tuesday? Yes, yeah, yesterday, yesterday yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, so they were just great and not delusional great. Like if you did a bad yeah. joke, they wouldn't laugh. Yeah, they didn't laugh. Best audience because I did a joke that I'm pretty sure now isn't a good joke because they laughed a lot at everything else and that just didn't land and they were fair about it. And like, yeah, yeah. It, it's the best which place was to the test joke? new stuff. I have a joke about do dogs know that they're adopted? Dogs? Dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do like do they figure it out one day? And is that why dogs run away? And, but I don't think it's And that, they didn't laugh at that. No, but then I was like, you know, I had a lot of faith in that joke and I'm very yeah, yeah, disappointed. Yeah, yeah. And they laughed at that. But and I also, got yeah. back up for the next But that's round. the thing is also that that kind of um like a joke doesn't work and you bounce them back. That came from because the the audience also is a great audience. Yeah. So you're like confident. You're like, ah, that didn't work out. Whatever. It's mm. all good. We're all having fun. We're all having fun. The kind of thing. If it was a shit audience, you might be like, well, that didn't work. Uh, all right. And next one or something, just because you're not getting the energy from the audience. Just the- arms crossed. Blank stares. I'm just giving it up. I'm, I just yeah. want to shout out the audience from last night. They were really cool. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the guy in the front. His name Max. Max, Sam. Sam. Yes, same name. Essentially. Backwards. Max is Sam. Brought his friend who's in rehab or just out of rehab. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So like, you know, there's for every audience that doesn't, is like horrible, horrible. There is an audience that is Mm -hmm. great as well. Some audiences are too good. Yeah, last night they wasn't, but like, yeah, yeah, that does happen. Barcelona, when I go, I think the audiences are too good. And I think... Often you'll do a mic there and some comedians won't write punchlines because they get a laugh at the premise. Mm-hmm. And then if they go anywhere else, they, they're going to get nothing from it because there's yeah, not yeah. a joke there. Yeah, um, we had that once on Tuesday and I told them at the end, I was yeah. like, if you guys show up every week, we're going to be terrible comedians. So <laughs> yeah. yep, just uh, stay home next week because <laughs> they were just laughing at everything. everything. Yesterday? Even shit jokes. No, no, yesterday they were They were, they good. were, just they were good. fair. Yeah. They were fair, but uh, just ready for everything. Mm-hmm. Like I, I started off at the beginning and I talked to the front row and the guy mentioned that his friend, like I was like, why aren't you always coming? If he, this guy always comes, he's like, because he was in rehab and everyone laughs, like laughed well at that. Mm-hmm. And I could play around with the fact that the guy yeah. was in rehab. So like they were just they were just cool and like with it like even I made some 
jokey racist jokes and like the people who weren't white in the audience afterwards were like oh great show so it wasn't like <laughs> like they were cool like they knew they got that i'm joking and it's not true i don't remember any racist oh the, oh no I, it was just it was just like asides where i i said quickly something i forget what it was uh, i said some joke about Oh, about how I don't make friends with bald people. I don't. That's not a racist joke. No, no. But I said I don't make friends with bald people because everything we say, like you get in a group of three bald guys, and everything we say just sounds racist. And I said whatever the thing that sounds racist, the example, and that got a semi laugh. And then because it got a semi laugh, I just immediately afterwards was like, yeah, but I still hate black people. Oh yeah. And then they all laughed. And that was so clearly not. Exactly. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. You you did you, something else though at the top where you said, you know, we had one female comedian, which was Bea and she dropped out. Yeah. I think his women are unreliable. I don't know if you said that. No, it was I, didn't say, I, I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> not true though. <laughs> I watched it back. And, and, then, not say and, that then, and then, and then you're like, and our black comedian is late. Yeah. Right. And then that didn't really get much of a response. Yeah. But it also, that wasn't like but it, that super was racist. Yeah, was I think because it wasn't over the top enough. It, but, anything, but that's the thing. But, it's yeah. not even that, that wasn't, that was explaining the show. That wasn't even jokes. I was literally mm. saying what actually just was facts. true. Yeah. And I, <laughs> then it went on to just being like, sorry, we have only white guys, but we have uh, whatever. One last thing about that show. You, you know Raz Meek. Mm-hmm. We should have Raz Meek on the podcast. We should. Oh my God, we should have Raz Meek on the podcast. <laughs> That'd be so much fun. Uh, what would the topic be? For 10 be? minutes. What would, yeah, I think I Not more. What would the topic be? I don't know. We we'll can talk about that later. Uh, exactly. But uh, anyway, I, Razmik has been upping his game, like dressing better, you know, working on himself. And I told Razmik, like, you know, every week you just become a little bit more fuckable. <laughs> and then he thought that was very funny. The, the comedians oh, okay. left. Uh, and then on stage, <laughs> he was like, you know... A uh, comedian told me I am fuckable. <laughs> it was Jordan. Are you sh- had- wait, wait. Are you sure you said that? Because I remember him saying on stage, I- I'm looking every time more fuckable. I'm looking pretty every, sure, sure yeah, looking yeah. every time more fuckable. I'm pretty sure he said that. And when yeah. you went on stage, I caught that where you said that and people were like, yeah. Well, I told him, I told him every week more fuckable. And then I said, it's still a hundred weeks until I'd hit it. Right. That's my joke. But, but like yeah. uh but still that yeah, that was something that he actually did he did say He did say it the right way. He did say it the right way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, but he was just milking it in a way that I was like, Resmic, I didn't yeah, mean yeah. that you were fu- that you are fuckable. <laughs> right, right. That you're you're approaching fuckability. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, I just want to shout out that audience because they were but super the fact cool. That he's- said it on stage it means he found it funny so it's good that he said it on stage he also came up to me afterwards and was like so I am fuckable I think that's what I'm responding to (laughs) I was like yeah yeah yeah. which again could be his way of joking about well look for Razmik in a future episode you'll see what we mean uh, from this conversation so yeah, any closing thoughts? Uh, you should check out the YouTube channel of Jordan. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, at Jordan Thomas Gray on YouTube. I'm gonna be posting some like stand up basics. Uh, yeah, and come to shows yeah. in Warsaw, of course. If you're I'm around, on tour. Yeah, all over Europe. It's a fun, uh, fun scene. I don't, I don't know what else. But I'll, all I was saying is like, I think in general, for my conclusion, comedy. If you love doing it is difficult, but there are harder things to do if you hate them. And yes. you should only do it if you absolutely love it. And or do it once, whatever. Who gives yeah, a shit? Try it out. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's true. You should try it. Do whatever it. you want, whatever. You should try it. But like, if you're doing it for reasons that aren't, that you love it, it's, it's then not, what it's are not going to last. I'm pretty yeah. sure, so you don't have to tell them. They won't do it if they're not going to. No one does it for like, 20 years and they have another job and they well, hate stand up. I think it's hard to do stand up comedy, but it's harder to live with the regret that you didn't do stand up comedy. Yeah. Once. And you might go on stage and be like, ooh, I hated that. I don't want to do that. It's like riding a roller coaster. It seems scary at first, then you do it, then you feel better. And then it's a good experience to have no matter what. Yeah, and there might once. be some times where it's like, I just ate. I don't want to go up on the roller coaster now. But then you go up and you're like, actually, that was fun. Sure. Yeah. Oh, actually, that, <laughs> sorry. That is, I uh, know we're ending, but the, I think the hardest thing for stand-up, the hardest thing for stand-up is uh, when you don't feel like doing it, when you have a mood where just yeah. you're not able to do it. And I think that is absolutely the hardest yes, thing. Yes, I agree. Where 
you could have a day where, I mean, I've had it where someone dies and like, what are you going to go up and you have to entertain people now? And you just are in despair. Like that's not a thing that's possible almost. Still easier for me than writing. (laughs) But like, but still that is, that is probably the hardest thing for me for stand up. Like you, you can always have faith that a joke will come, but like if the day of you are in the absolute worst, let's say worst mood is one thing, but like something actually happened to you in your life, which is devastating. You're not going to be able to do stand up as well as like you or or you have to muster up the strength and the emotion to be able to entertain people and make them laugh. I think that's the number one hardest thing in stand-up. Yeah, I think writing, if something happened, is the hardest thing. Because, for example, for me, if I have a, if I had a bad day, uh, but I have things that I wrote, and then I perform, I enjoy performing, even if I had a bad day. But if I have a bad timing, like, bad, I don't know, week, and I didn't have time to write because I didn't have the like the mental focus to write, then that's for me the hardest thing. It's not the going on stage because maybe, as you said, you can talk with the people, for example, or whatever else, but writing when you feel like writing is the last thing you feel like to do, for me is the hardest shit. I'll say writing when not feeling like writing is harder for me than performing yeah, when I don't feel like performing. Too. For sure. Okay. Well, this has been the... What is the name of this podcast? This has been the Comedy Hole Podcast. We got to go host a show? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's, vamos. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, Bye-bye. ciao. Bye.